Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, the text that we have been in for some time, First and Second Peter, studying faithfully through these verses of Scripture as Peter addresses those who are experiencing suffering and persecution, and then, of course, goes on to encourage those who are living in an age where the teachings of the church, the truth, in fact, was being undermined in deep and alarming kind of ways, and he gives them warning for what was transpiring in their culture and in their churches and calls them to a place of fidelity, a place of faithfulness, and his call of faithfulness pertains specifically to the Word of God in the context of this passage. I hope and pray this morning that you are here and able to sing it as well with my soul. But I also know and understand that in the context of our culture over the last couple of years, maybe in your own personal life and recent times and events, it's a difficult thing to sing and a difficult thing to say, and perhaps even more so, a difficult thing to believe. Reality is, depression, anxiety, conflict, and psychological upheaval has increased upwards of 35%. Across the board, children, teens, young adults, and senior adults, because of many of the changes taking place in our culture today. Fortunately, Christians aren't exempt from these changes and from the worry that it generates, the fears that it stirs, And even Christians aren't exempt from the anxiety and depression. You will hear some people in pulpits like this saying, Christians never worry. How can someone even say that? Christians never get discouraged. How can you even say that, having lived the Christian life? Of course, we're prone to worry. Of course, we're prone to discouragement. We have something that the world doesn't have, and I want to spend some time this morning focusing upon those truths and those realities. But is it any wonder that there is such upheaval and uncertainty and psychological distress in the culture and in the age in which we live, particularly here in Western civilization? Some of the things that we are facing in Western civilization have been faced by Christ's church throughout generations and in third world and other countries for some time now. We are late to the party, so to speak, but we are simply going through what Christians have been going through for a long, long time in other places, and yet the gates of hell have not prevailed against Christ's church. We haven't closed our doors or shut our mouths of worship. In fact, I wonder if sometimes during days of persecution and change, if our strength grows exponentially in those times, because we have nothing else to rely on and no place else to turn. But as we catch up to the rest of the culture and experience this profound chaos in Western civilization, this chaos touches culture on every level but I fear it touches the church as well. We continue to live over the course of two years in a land of protest and riot. We begin to see and continue to watch 
worldview paradigm shifts that undermine the Judeo-Christian ethos which this Western civilization was founded upon to a more depressed, individualistic, humanistic kind of worldview that offers no hope for eternity and band-aids for deep and challenging wounds in the culture. We've seen attacks on some of our most stable institutions in the course of the last couple of years and in ways that we've never seen before. Most recently, our judicial system has come under attack in this culture by none other than the Department of Justice, who didn't like the findings of a sitting jury acquitting a young man, and you're entitled to your opinion, but the system has spoken. The Department of Justice should be supporting that system, and, and they're not. Do you understand that a few elites want to make all of the decisions in this country, and until they get the decision and the outcome they want, they will not stop? It ought to cause you to shudder. Is it any wonder in this profound chaos that there is fear and anxiety and depression abounding? Our educational institutions have been under attack for some time in higher education college and graduate programs, but it has now drifted down into high school and, God forbid, elementary school, where our children are being bombarded with gross immorality and a political indoctrination that stands against everything that we believe in, everything that this nation was founded upon. And it's extended into our family where even the government now has begun to target parents who thankfully take responsibility for their children and what they're taught. Now somehow they're domestic terrorists. How did we how did we get here? Pastor Jim, move on a little bit. This is supposed to be a celebration Sunday. Be patient. It is. It is. You see, until you stop putting your hope in this world, you will never find the hope that is afforded to you in the person of Jesus Christ. The world is horribly broken, but boy, do we have good news for you. That's what we'll celebrate, and that's what we'll champion. Not a division or a narrative of division and fear, not a, not a message of false promises of hope and change through the exclusion of God and the exaltation of self. I'm speaking this morning to Christians, although not exempt from fear and worry, Christians who have forgotten the faith that was delivered once for all to the saints. Everyone today is looking for hope. Everything is looking for somewhere and someplace and something that doesn't change at the whim of the culture or the individual for that matter. They're looking for anything that brings peace, even if they're selling their soul for a fleeting and false sense of peace. There is no peace outside of Christ. There is no hope outside of Christ. There is no promise outside of Christ. And I'm here to tell you, as much as the world might change, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He keeps His promises. And unless we can find our hope in that, we'll be caught up in the craziness of this world's
those of you who wish to ask, what's to celebrate? Pastor Jim, I'm here to tell you everything that matters most is to be celebrated. Some will say, Pastor Jim, we've heard this from you for a long time. I'm reminded of what Peter says in this text. My days are numbered. Get used to it. You will hear this for a long time coming until God takes me home. Everything's going to be okay. But where does that come from? Where is the origination of that peace? Where do we go to this place where we can deal with life in this ever-changing, chaotic culture and have reason to give thanks? Where can I go when my personal life is spinning out of control, my relationships are in tatters? Where do I go to find this peace? I am glad that you're here. I'm glad that you tuned in this morning. There is a place of peace. In fact, it's a person of His peace, and His name is Jesus. Here's what Peter says in chapter 1, verse 16 of Second Peter. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with Him on the holy mountain." I'm going to stop there just for a second. Some of you are looking and chasing after the wind. You're chasing after this elusive experience on the mountaintop where everything is okay. But even on that mountaintop of transfiguration where Peter and James and John were able to see the glory of God on Jesus Christ, where they were able to hear the voice of the Father, where He made everything okay, and they wanted to stay there, if you read the account, Jesus said, we can't stay on the mountain. We have to go back to the people in the valley. Experiences are fleeting. Mountaintop spiritual events are vacuous when it comes to sustain you and the most difficult times and occasions of life. There's got to be something more that gets us through. And even these men, Peter, James, and John, in the midst of the glory of God, are here to testify through Peter. There's even something better than that experience. Here's what he says in verse 19. And we have something more sure. More sure than a feeling. More sure than an experience more sure than a spiritual intuition, more, more sure than this vague notion of, of God somehow embedded in culture, we have the prophetic word. And Peter, who had been on that mountain only a few short years later to deny that same Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? He saw the glory of God on Peter. When the chips were down, he denied him not once or twice, but three separate times. I have to believe that Peter's talking to us out of experience here. He said, I was on that mountain. I saw the glory of God. I heard the voice of, 
of my heavenly Father, but there is something even better than that, this prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Boy, do we need a lamp today until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts before we see Him and become like Him. We need some place to find our peace and our, our hope and rest in His promises knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I love verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is it that we rely on in difficult and challenging times? How is it that we address these seismic paradigm shifts and changes of worldview? How is it that we break this terrible habit in the church of Jesus Christ to speak of my truth and your truth? There is one truth. There is one way, and His name is Jesus. And there was one faith delivered for the saints of all ages. It's contained in the prophecies of this book. How do we break these terrible habits and find some kind of hope and sustaining in a culture that if you think it's bad now, you just wait. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But then He reminded us, be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. I've overcome this world. As we celebrate those things, as we bask in the glory of our King, as we immerse ourselves in the Scripture where where men spoke from God, carried along by His Holy Spirit, what is it that we can learn in these ever-changing years of profound chaos and a prevailing worldview that has no place for God? And in my fear, prevailing, prevailing, lack of confidence in the book. If you're here for a story, go someplace else. If you're here for some jokes, listen carefully. I have kind of a sarcastic sense of humor. If you're here for me to make you feel better, I will fail you miserably. But there's a place of peace. There's a place of quietness that leads to the place of celebration. And that is what I hope to share with you this morning. Father, I pray that you bless us. Pray that you encourage us as we bring things together, the context of our study in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I pray that you would give us hearts and attitudes of thanksgiving. I pray that you would teach us to celebrate, not with all the fanfare and the bells and the whistles, but even in the dark times to celebrate that there is a shining lamp. There's a remnant of hope and promise. There's a confidence in tomorrow and all of our tomorrows. And I pray that you would create in us a celebration of anticipation, knowing that this same Jesus that was crucified is Lord and King and coming again. 
that you'd remind us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May that sustain us. May that keep us. May that those promises of your word hold us in these ever-trying times. And as Peter wrote to those We're dealing with teachers who are twisting the truth, destructive heresies. May we always be the kind of place that people can come and get a healthy dose of the promises of Your Word that sustains them in life's most difficult days. We pray especially this morning for those who are carrying a weight that we may or may not even understand this morning. Things are hard sometimes in life. This sinful world sometimes falls on us. Sometimes we just need something to get us through another day. May you provide that for us exponentially turn our sorrows into joy, our crushing defeats into ultimate victories, and the weights that we carry is half a burden as we give over our cares and concerns to You, knowing that You know the end from the beginning and everything's going to be okay. Give us hearts of celebration, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move through this, I would like to kind of set the stage for the ministry in 2022. And if you're looking for something new and fresh, you might be disappointed. But there are some things that we have to continue to do here at First Baptist, regardless of the cost. I've been telling you for some time now that although I believe that a better day is coming, and although I believe that God is still on the throne, I also believe that we're living in a church age where people are interested more in being tickled in their ears than told the truth. They're interested more in some immediate experience or thrill that leads them to a place of euphoria than they are in a truth that sustains them in the darkest times of life. And I pray that we remain the kind of ministry that always turns our attention to the book and reminds ourselves of the things that matter most, even when sometimes it doesn't seem quite enough. May all of us know and understand that it's always enough. It's always enough. And may our minds and hearts be so attuned to that truth that when these things happen, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, they will happen. You live long enough in this sinful world you'll feel the crushing weight of disappointment and discouragement. Where do we turn in times like this? There are three particular things I'd like to focus on. There's nothing new or fresh. In fact, I would encourage you, if someone stands up on the pulpit and says, hey, we're going to look at something new and fresh today, that you put on your discerning ears because there's nothing new under the sun. Maybe. Hopefully, the person saying that has just discovered the truth and it set them free. But if they're telling you that somehow there's something new and fresh and different and, and the world is changing and the church needs to, too, you first put on your discerning ears and secondly, my recommendation, run away. 
What is it that sustains us, and where do we go from here? How is it that we as the church can deal with this systemic racism, or supposedly so in our culture today? How can we deal with this gender and sexual trans, transgression into, listen, let's be honest, this is gross sin and indecency that is being perpetrated today, even in some churches How do we find our way through times like this? How do we address these needs? We must understand that the faith that comes from the Scripture, the faith delivered once and for all to all of the saints, is a faith of equal standing. What does that mean? All those in Christ Jesus lose their distinction in all of these areas that are most important in the culture today, and you become stamped the Holy Spirit. There's a divine invasion that takes place in your life, and you're conformed to the image of Christ, and your identity, after coming to Christ as as personal Lord and Savior, your identity is in Christ alone. And when someone tries to make your identity in race, and someone wants to make it in gender or fill in the blank, it will lead you down a path of false hope. What no one can take away from you, what no one can divide you from is the fact that you are stamped with the ownership of God the Father through the Son and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You are a child of the King, and from the moment you've accepted Christ as Savior, you are and will always be a child of that King. You matter to God. And you know what the greatest thing about it is? Even in spite of yourselves, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we talk about what's happening in our world today, when you reason with your children by what they're being taught in so many different venues today, you must stand upon this faith of equal standing, and that means that we must set aside our own unique identities and stories. It's not that they're not important. It is simply the fact that Jesus is more important than that. All of our past that we live, all of the past that is a part of us, must be filtered through the truth of Jesus Christ and the faith of equal standing. To continue to divide the church and the culture for the sake of unity is a false promise that will never deliver the things that it says it will deliver. But there's a faith of equal standing that Peter describes in the text here in 2 Peter. He begins his letter, Simeon Peter, servant, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even as Peter writes this passage, even as he talks about his glorious experiences on the mountain later on in chapter 1, even though he had this lofty appointment of being an apostle, one especially sent and commissioned by Jesus himself, even though he had the privilege of walking the face of the earth for three and a half years with the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was a man with a feet of clay. He was a man who was undone by his own propensities. He was a man who had to learn that there is something greater than life and experience, and that is the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds the listeners that the faith 
that you have in Christ is no less nor greater than the faith of this apostle Peter, a servant of Christ, and that all of us, in the name of Jesus Christ, stamped with that mark of ownership, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and living out our lives not as A, B, or C, but children of the living God, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. That is our identity. That is our standing. That is what defines us, and that means there is room in the church for everyone, but only on the terms defined in the pages of the book. When the church goes down a path of accepting everyone for who they are, they stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that defines what we ought to be. Every church that compromises absolute truth for temporal peace somehow or some cultural position must compromise the gospel. The faith of equal standing that you and I have, this faith that comes through Christ alone, rooted in the prophecies of this book, remind us that our identity is in Christ. So here's how this fleshes out. Pastor Jimmy, you don't know my story. Oh, I know you're king. I, I know you're king. Pastor Jim, you don't know what I'm struggling with. I, I, know, I know you're Savior. I, I know. Pastor Jim, you just don't get it. Oh, boy, I, I know someone who does. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sovereign of the universe. He knows the end from the beginning. And you don't think he knows your story? Of course he knows your story. Everybody's got a story. But somehow we've got to get to this place of equal standing that our story is less about us and more about our king. Less about here and more about there. Less about this and and more about this. This equal standing comes only in Christ alone through the gospel alone. Some of us have truncated the gospel. We've made the gospel only about Jesus died for your sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and raised again. And that is indeed the essence of the gospel. You are not a Christian and there is no hope in church membership. doesn't matter what size check you might write for the celebration offering. doesn't matter what your earthly prestige or position might be, truth of the Scripture is everyone, everyone, everyone is dead in trespasses and sin from from Adam on. You are born a sinner. You might be a good person, but it doesn't negate the reality that you are still desperately lost in your sin. You are You're a vessel fit for destruction. Boy, does that fly against the prevailing notion of of be all you can be in the individualism of Western civilization today. We are all horribly, horribly, horribly broken. And that is the infant to the toddler to the teen to the college student and beyond. Because every single person since Adam is born in sin, 
They need a Savior. Because the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of the gospel must accompany the bad news of reality. And the bad news is you are horribly broken, but God has made a way. That's what Peter is writing to these people here. You, you have a faith of equal standing. You have a great faith that separates you from everybody else. That faith is in God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's there, he says in verse 2, that you find grace. It's there where you find peace. And it is multiplied to you the more you understand His goodness. Do you know how good you have it today? In spite of how bad this day may have begun for you, you are a child of the King. You have the undivided attention of the God of all of the universe through His Savior, Jesus Christ. But you must admit your brokenness and realize that there is only one Savior. Do you know Him? And here's where we truncate the gospel. It seems like we stop preaching the gospel after someone comes to know Jesus as Savior and places their faith and the fact that He died for their sins, places their faith in believing that, that He'll forgive them of their sins and make a way for them in heaven. John 14 talks about that. See, the gospel leads us all the way home. It's not just for salvation. It is the gospel that we must remain mindful of for the rest of our days. And on days like this, where the sky is falling and you seem crushed in your soul, you must remember that you are a child of the King. You must remember that Christ died for you. You must remember that He's coming back for you. And you must remember that this same Jesus who is coming, <laughs> He's still Lord today. And He knows your story, and He knows your name, and He's directing your paths, and a better day is coming. Ours is a faith of equal understanding. Oh, I wish I could believe that like you, Pastor Jim. Don't pattern your faith after me. <laughs> you place your faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you think I don't struggle? You don't, think, you don't think I have challenges? You don't think I'm filled with doubt sometimes? You don't think I'm worried about what's next? Of course I am. There's a place of comfort. And I realize that just like Paul and just like Peter and just like the saints of the past and just like the giants of the faith, my faith in Christ puts me on equal standing with every individual who ever came to know Him as Savior. We are children of the King. And that's what gives you a heart of celebration, not circumstances, because you'll be depressed and discouraged through circumstances all the time. Not only do we have a faith that is of equal standing, all of us coming to Christ, coming to salvation in Christ alone and knowing the hope of eternity. This faith of equal standing grounds us in the prophetic word. The Bible itself says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The, the word of God. It's where our security comes from. Some of you are looking for the security of your faith by some emotional kind of experience. Let me tell you something. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive. If you believe and call upon Him, he will, he will rescue you and He will come alongside of you. The truth of the matter is, it's the Word of God that informs our faith. It is the Word of God that declares our faith. It is the Word of God that sustains our faith. It is the Word of God 
and the Word of God alone that gives us the assurance of our faith. Some of you are living day to day. Well, I don't think God's close today. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Listen to me carefully. If you've confessed your sin and cried out to God for salvation through Christ alone, and He's heard your prayer, your assurance must come from the Word of God, not from your own personal experience or emotions. You must go back to the beginning. You must go back to that point in time. You must go back and place your confidence and this faith of equal standing that is grounded in the Word. You know why I I believe that Jesus is coming in my lifetime? Because He promised me He was coming. Go figure. It's not something that I dreamed up. It's not something that, that I'm hoping in. He said He's coming back. He's never failed His promises. He always does what He said He's going to do. So when I say, hey, He's coming, mark my words, and you have doubt, get in the book. You know what the book's going to tell you? He's coming. Are you ready? He's coming. I can tell you, in the midst of your darkness, He knows your name and story. Why? Because you have a faith of equal standing. He has rescued you through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He knows your story. He knows your name. He understands that. It is all rooted in the gospel of equal standing that is grounded in the Word of God. Well, Pastor Jim, how can I be thankful at times like this? Because the Bible said, be thankful in all circumstances. Is that enough for you? I don't know how. Well, that's why we're here. We have to help each other with the how. We need to support each other with the how. I need to take you to the book to show you how. And what is that how? That how is in the fact that you're a child of the King. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows your name and He knows your pain. And He said, hang on, I'm coming back for you. That's why we sang this morning, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. How many of you are waiting today? He's coming. He's coming. And He's coming for you because that is where we have our assurance and our hope, this prophetic word. There's some here, sad to me, tell me there's got to be something more, Pastor Jim. There's nothing more. You look all you want under the sun. There are no answers for the complexities of life today. I'm going to go out on a major limb coming in the next year, and we're going to do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Ecclesiastes. That is a really difficult, challenging book. The reason we're going to do that study is based on this message today. It's going to remind us of our equal standing, and it's going to ground us in the truth, and it's going to tell us that in the end of the day, And at the end of our life, we have one obligation, fear God and keep His commandments, because that's what life is all about. But what Ecclesiastes does is take us through all of those other things that distract us and and, and take us away from that very faith and belief, and even away from the truth of the Word. It is the Word, it is the Word, it is the Word. And I would be lying to you if I told you being faithful to the Word didn't come with a price. It is coming. It's com- it may come for me first, but if you're going to stand upon the promises, it's coming for you too. It's coming. Ours is a faith of equal standing, rooted in the Word of God. And here, 
That's what the Apostle Paul says to this young man, Timothy, under his tutelage who was in the pastorate. He says in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. These sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, a faith of equal standing built on that prophetic Word where all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and proof for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's funny what Paul says to this young man, Timothy. He says to Timothy, hey, wasn't the Bible good enough when you were a child and your grandmother and mother were were, were teaching you? Wasn't it good enough when when you were a, a young adult and you were learning and, and memorizing and being immersed in the Scripture? Timothy, isn't the Word of God good enough for you now that you're pastoring? In fact, Timothy, because you're pastoring, what you need to do is go back to the beginning and to that prophetic Word because that's the most important element of your role as pastor. Some, inevitably, say, oh, Pastor Jim, you always say that, but I need more. There is no more. You want to be free and free indeed. It comes through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And it comes through the teachings of the book. That's why we're able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Sometimes that doesn't come immediately. Sometimes when you're thrust into that valley of the shadow of death, you go the way of the world and begin to second guess and fear and worry encompasses your soul. Maybe you get a little anxious and depressed. But if you're a child of the King, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God will gradually and always bring you back. He will always tell you that He's got this. He will always tell you that it's going to be okay. How does He do that, by the way? Well, I'm listening for the voice of the Father. Peter said, we've got something better than that. I'm looking for a spiritual experience, Pastor Jim. Peter said, hey, I've got something better than that. We have the prophetic word. A little psalm that is so simplistic and yet so profound. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. That's it. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. The prophetic word is always enough. Whether you're a child, teenager, college student, an adult with a young family or a senior saint, God is always enough. His word is always lighting the path, and we must pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place, and it is getting darker every day. May the light of the Word get brighter and brighter. So, we have, an, we have a faith of equal standing, grounded in the prophetic Word that produces an enduring hope. And maybe this is what you're struggling with most of all this morning. Enduring simply means that we have a faith that is or a hope that is lasting and continuing and is durable. What does that mean? It is capable of withstanding 
all of the forces of evil and the conflicts of life. It reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. The winds come, and great are those winds as they blow against that structure, and the house stands. That's what he's saying here. We have an eternal hope. Hope is not a cross-your-fingers kind of, I hope this will happen. It's a confident expectation. It is the belief that soon all of this will be over and everything is going to be okay. And I want to encourage you that that is the source and the place of celebration today. A celebration that entails a faith of equal standing. A celebration that entails the, the groundedness and the grounding of the Word of God that's truth that, that, that never fades and goes away. A faith that is rooted in an enduring kind of hope and a belief that no matter how long this life lasts, no matter how long our trials continue, it is a faith that is durable, you will be sustained, and everything's going to be okay. I often get criticized for speaking of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, so criticize away, because I'm going to tell you that the Jesus that saved you is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's not of your future only, and not of your circumstances only. It is of every area of your life. We've bifurcated this Lordship and says, yes, I know that He's in charge of the world, But he doesn't have to have every part of me. Oh, you're so mistaken and wrong. Jesus is Lord, is Lord, is Lord. And maybe, just maybe, the challenges that you faced in the last couple of years and the valley that you're in right now is to point out to you the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to remind you that if he's in charge and he desires the best for you, everything's going to be okay. Pleasant? I've been pretty honest with you. It's not always pleasant. You've seen me limp around. You've seen me struggle with issues. You've seen me tired beyond tired. Life is hard sometimes, but a better day is coming. How can you say that? Because it's grounded in the Word. Well, what, what difference does that make in my life? If you're a Christian, that's a problem if that Word doesn't make a difference in your life. That's a problem. And maybe right now, these bumps that you're going through are to point you in that direction. Here's how Paul writes it to the young pastor Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people of equal standing training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in this present age. You notice how he doesn't define what that age looks like? By the way, seems cyclical to me. That's what Ecclesiastes says. Nothing seems to change. Heartache seems to be baked into life. We're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people of His own possession who are zealous of good works. But Pastor Jim, you just don't understand. Can I share a little story with you? It's actually historical. It's about the life of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, in a poem that he wrote towards the end of the Civil War, 
called Christmas Bells. When he wrote the words to the poem Christmas Bells, we were at the tail end of the Civil War, still months away from Lee's surrender to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse. And the poem reflected not just the Civil War, but it also reflected a deep and devastating pain that he had personally in his life. At the time of the writing, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow had lost his wife to a fire. They'd been married 18 years. They had a number of children. She died of her injuries. A horrific fire. Shortly after that, his son, Charles, in the Civil War was crippled and came home to be dependent on his father. The first year after these events, it is said that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow expressed in a personal journal how inexpressibly sad are all of the holidays. It's a reminder of lost opportunity, a reminder of a wife no longer there, a reminder that for the rest of his days under the sun he would have to care for a crippled son because of the Civil War. A couple of years later, things weren't any better. He writes in his journal, I can make no record of these days. Better to leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will finally give me peace. You ever feel like that? personal life was in a shambles. Lost the wife of his youth. Devastating injuries to his son. The holidays come around and he says, what's the point? It was that time that he wrote the words of the poem Christmas Bells that eventually came to be the hymn that we sing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Toward the end of that song, he writes in verse, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The following verse then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail when peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He wraps up this poem by writing, which eventually became the first verse. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Somehow, he came to a place in all of his tragedy and in all of the heartache, he came to the place of finding hope even in the worst of circumstances, in a devastating civil war where he had lost his wife and almost lost his son. At the end of the day, all things considered, he wrote, everything's going to be okay. There's still hope. There's still promise. And there's still something to be thankful for. I'm here to tell you it's for those who know the Savior. It's for those who trust the Word, and it's for those who cling to hope. And I'm talking about true hope in Christ alone. 
on this celebration Sunday, I want to remind you that our faith is a faith of equal standing, grounded in the prophetic word that produces an enduring hope and promises that everything is going to be okay. And I suggest to you this morning that that is cause for celebration. So no matter where you've come from this morning, join us as we celebrate the King of kings and Lord of lords and wait, sometimes impatiently, for the sound of the trumpet when our faith becomes sight. And finally, 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 we know what it means that everything's going to be okay. Father, thank you. We are so guilty of running to and fro trying to figure this out. And for the believer, it's always been present with us. Give us cause of thanksgiving and reason for celebration, knowing that our faith is a faith of equal standing even with the apostles. Turn our attention to the prophetic word where our faith is grounded, where our assurance comes from, where promises made or promises kept. And grant to us an enduring hope as the world gets darker and darker. Give us a sense of anticipation, looking forward to the day when you make all things new. Teach us to celebrate with word and song. As we close our service this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.